Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Let's go on here. So we are, uh, oh, I have, I have family visiting today, and though it would embarrass them, I am going to acknowledge them. So my uncle David and Aunt Rhonda are here. Hi, Dave, Rhonda. Love you guys. Visiting from Lenexa, Kansas, and my uncle sporting the Royals shirt. We are both uh, deep, deep fans of the Royals, and it is so sad right now, I'll be honest with you. But we also like the Chiefs, and things are going well. All right, uh, moving forward. Uh, we are studying the Old Testament, so if you're new with us, and, um, or maybe you've been here a short period of time, and I don't know where you're at in your Bible understanding, but we're studying the Old Testament, and you might think, well, why are we... Why are we seeing the old one? Isn't there a new one? Like, is the, like, how's this work? Why would you do that? So here, let me just tell you this. People uh, and God have basically stayed the same the whole time. So like, God has never changed. Same God, same character, same heart, same desires for his people as ever. So it doesn't matter if you're reading Old Testament, New Testament, same God. Now, some covenants have changed. That's another story. Uh, but the same God. And people... You know, people are basically the same. Like, if you go all the way back to the beginning of time and you were to ask people, all of the basic needs that we have are, have been reflected throughout all of history. Like, we all, throughout history, want to make sure that we have good food and shelter, clothing, uh, a classic two-seater sports car. Um, we, there's all these things that we desire. But there is something else that we also desire, and that is we all know that there's this, like, hole inside of us um, that just can't be filled with the basics of life. There's something deeper, and that deeper thing we're looking for is a spiritual thing, and that can only be filled by the Lord. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to see a little bit today as, as we move forward. And what we're going to talk about today is an unexpected king, an unexpected king. Now, I say this because those of you who've been traveling with us through our study of 1 Samuel uh, will recall that, that, that Israel's been on this journey. Uh, the country of Israel's been on this journey. They're trying to figure out their identity. Um, they're wrestling with who they want to be, and they're wrestling with their walk with God. That's really what it's all about, because God, to this point in history, has been leading Israel through uh, prophets and priests, and, uh, and that's how they've done their politics as well. And the people have become disillusioned. Now, they would say that they've become disillusioned with God, probably. But the problem is not God. The, the problem is the people who have not been handling their roles well. And so we've had some bad priests and leaders prior to Samuel. Samuel's great. Uh, some bad priests and leaders. Um, the people have made some bad decisions. The leaders of Israel, who are kind of the, the, uh, the council of 70 leaders, they've, they've made some bad decisions. And so I feel like... Israel is blaming God for the, for the bad decisions of people. And so their last communication with the Lord was this. We want a king like the other nations. Like everybody else has a king, we want a king like the other nations. Now that, that is the problem. <laughs> the, the truth is you don't want a king like the other nations. You want God to do it his way. But that's where we are in this. Throughout all of this, and as we study going forward, we're going to step into something that I would call um, God's sneaky sovereignty. God's sneaky sovereignty. Now, it'll make sense before we're done today, but, but here's what I'm reminded of. And when I talk about sovereign, this is what I mean. God is in charge of everything. He's in charge. He's over everything. Nothing escapes his sight. Nothing escapes his control. Like God is, God is always in control, but sometimes it's a little sneaky. That is, you don't always recognize when God is doing something. And that's true of all of us. But, but I, I bet if we had a conversation and just talked to, to some of God's people here and said, 
Did you ever have a time in your life where you stepped into a situation and you realized God had been moving all these pieces together so that when you got to here, all of this would work right? I mean, I bet if you talk to God's people, they'd be like, oh, you know what? I've seen that a number of times. So that's part of God's sneaky sovereignty. Always in control. We're just not always aware. All right, so we're in the hunt now for the first king of Israel. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're about 3,000 years ago uh, by way of history. And uh, let's see where we are in our journey. So 1 Samuel chapter 9, if you get your Bible's hand, or an app on your phone, 1 Samuel chapter 9. All right, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. Oh, I need to stop already. So here's the thing. All right, so we're going to be jumping in to the Old Testament, and I have to read this morning a number of Old Testament names. Like, these are, these are Hebrew names. Now, you know, it's no surprise. I don't speak Hebrew as a native language, and I am just glad that most of you don't either. Uh, we, now, we have a couple of, na- of some Hebrew speakers here that teach it uh, on the seminary level. Uh, I actually know they're on vacation today, uh, so that helps me out a little bit. So I'll be fake reading some names with confidence. Um, there's a couple today, I'll be honest with you, I still don't know how to pronounce. You'll probably pick up which ones those are. But for now, let me just roll forward and act like I know what I'm saying. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. All right, not so bad. All right, so we have this going on. Now, here's something about when you're studying history. When you are studying history in the Bible and you see a lineage, the lineage is, is there on purpose. It's meant to, to say that this is a fact we're not making these up. I'm like, these are real people. They've really existed. This is their line. And even though we're 3,000 years removed and you don't know who any of these people are, but when this was written and originally distributed, it was meant so that people could look at this and go, oh yeah, I know that family. Or, oh yeah, he used to date my sister. Like, like this, like, it was meant to be like, oh, this is a fact. Yeah, we know this family. We know this line. So we have this line that is mentioned for us. And what's mentioned is we have this guy, Kish, and Kish is, um, he's part of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, many of you who have studied the Bible before know that Israel traces its roots back to a division of 12 tribes. Um, so there's 12 tribes, and one of those tribes is the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin was the smallest tribe. And actually, if you read the book of Judges, Benjamin was almost wiped out <laughs> because they were really foolish. And so they are barely holding on at this point. This is what we know about Benjamin. Smallest tribe, uh, barely holding on. But Kish is a man of wealth. Which means then that Kish got cash. And so Kish is doing all right. And Kish is also a man of nobility. So in the midst of this, for all, what it's worth, he's doing great. All right, verse two. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. And from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. I mean, so we already, you already got a picture of who this dude is, right? I mean, this is, this is Saul, a.k.a. Young Hollywood, a.k.a. NBA, a.k.a. first-round draft pick of anything. Like, this guy is a stud. He's awesome. He's handsome. He's amazing. Uh, and so we get a picture of that in our heads. And then this is what you need to know about him. Saul's name actually means something in Hebrew. Saul's name in Hebrew means asked for or requested. Now, think about that for a second. His name means asked for or requested. He's about to be the first king of Israel, 
asked for or requested. And you know, now that's pretty clever of God. You remember I said sneaky sovereignty? And what I really love about this, are there these parents who, we don't know how old he is, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, I don't know. There are these parents, they're thinking like, oh, what should we name him? We should name him this, we should name him that. And they're like, oh, I got this, Saul's a cool sounding name, let's name him that. And then it ends up providentially to be exactly the guy. And he just so happens to be super tall, super handsome. And I mean, like, when they say, like, like the average height of anybody in Israel comes up to his shoulder. You are a tall dude at that point. Like, and it's great, by the way, side note for those who are tall, like we can reach almost everything. It's awesome. So, and I'm only kind of tall, uh, but my wife is 4'10", so I always feel a lot taller than I actually am. Um, but so, and, it's, and names mean something, and they should mean something. And when you go to name your kids, you really need to think about it. And in my family in particular, you really need to think about how you name your kids. Because my last name is Philpot. And you already know grade school kids are rough. So you really got to think through what you're going to name your children. And so uh, we've had a history of this in our family. In fact, can I give you a side note and tell you how this can work against you? All right, so um, let, let's talk a little bit this morning about the history of the toilet. So you may not know this, but historically, when you would go to the toilet, people would say, I'm going to the John. Now, the reason they said they were going to the John was because the first flushing toilet was invented by a guy named John Harrington. So when people were going to the toilet, they would say, I'm going to the John. My father's name is John. John Phil Pot. Now put yourself in grade school and imagine the fun you can have with my name. And so my dad all through school was known as Potty John. That's literally what they called him. And so we had to think about that. So naming our kids, what are we going to name them? We thought of a couple names for our kids. Then you got to put the uh, initials together, make sure the initials don't make something goofy uh, when they're there. So that's something important to think about. And I, I remember one time, this literally happened. I'm going to tell you a real story. Like we're sitting around our dinner table. And at one point, uh, I think our daughter had asked like, hey, did does my name mean anything? And we're like, oh, Callie, like your name is awesome because your name literally means beautiful. Callie means beautiful. And we've named you after like your great grandma who was also a beautiful woman married to a pastor. So we like, that was like super cool. And so my son's like, that's awesome. What does Tyler mean? And I was like, one who lays tile. <laughs> and, and so Tyler was like, are you serious? I'm like, I am absolutely serious. That's, we just thought your name sounded cool. So your daughter's going to be beautiful, or your sister's going to be beautiful her whole life, and you're going to be a blue-collar laborer. So enjoy, enjoy that. So, uh, but no, it's a, a beautiful thing, uh, but you got to think through the names. They thought through the names here, and it was the providence of God that guided this. Now, again, an omniscient God, a God who knows everything, is always prepared for any inevitability, for any circumstance. And so for Israel, the idea of a king, it's a brand new idea. They're, like, they're thinking, like, uh, what do we need? What do we need? Oh, we need a king. We want to give us a king like the other nations. And God's like, yeah, I already built one for you like 20 years ago. You know, like, I've, already, I've already given him the name. I'm already ready. And this just reminds me how God can work even in ways that we just totally don't expect, even when we're a bit rebellious, like Israel is at this moment. God is still at work, and he's still going to do what he does. And, and, and again, when, when they're in the midst of this crisis, this situation of like, we need leadership, we need protection, we need all this now, and it's like God's like, I already, I've already built it. I got the guy ready for you, ready to go. I, I do think... Principles we gather from the Old Testament, that would be a principle we need to hold on to. The next time you step into a crisis, and some of you might be in one this morning, and for others it may be around the bin, but whenever you step into a crisis and you panic and you're shouting out to God like, God, I need you now, you know, I feel like God could respond like, I've already been here waiting on you. Like, this is only new to you. 
And when it comes to, God, what are we gonna do? It's not like God has to scramble to figure it out. He prepared the answer before you were even aware of it. And so this is one of the things about a sovereign God that gives me comfort, that I never have to really panic that God's sovereignly in control. All right, so let's go forward in our story just a little bit. Next couple of verses here, verses three and four. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalashah. But they, they did not find them, and they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. And then they passed the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. All right, so now they're in the hill country of Ephraim. So let me show you this. I love maps, and again, maps are a reminder that the book we study is based on fact. This is not make-believe. Uh, uh, so this is the hill country of Ephraim. It's highlighted. It's pulled out uh, from Israel. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to show you this is real. If you're looking at that going, yeah, that didn't change my life. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change your life. I'm just letting you know, these are real places. Um, and both of those cities, by the way, that are mentioned here, 3,000 years of history have erased their locations. Uh, but we do know it would have been in and around where that area is of um, Ephraim. So there you go, hill country of Ephraim there. So they pass through, they can't find them. Um, here's a couple of things now too. So I have a friend of mine who's a farmer in Stafford, Kansas, and he raises both cattle and sheep. And he will tell me, like, this is a normal farm thing. I didn't grow up on a farm, uh, but a normal farm thing will be, you get a phone call, hey, uh, your, your cows are in my field, or just saw your sheep walking down the highway. You know, like, like that's a farm thing. And you gotta drop everything and go get your animals back, first of all. So you gotta hook up your truck, get the trailer, go get the animals. Then you gotta find out where the fence is broken, what happened, what went on there. And I mean, you can do that as part of farm life, I guess. But my friend told me it's particularly frustrating in the middle of winter, you know, when, when like out in Kansas, it can be like, you know, with the wind chill, 20 below, and there's ice and snow everywhere, and then you remind yourself, I'm glad I live in Columbia, South Carolina, you know, <laughs> like it's just a, a tough time. So these donkeys have gotten out. Um, normal thing. But here's what I think is even funnier. God's behind it, which means God stole his donkeys. Like, God stole Kish's donkey. Like, God, why would you do that? You stole his donkeys. And like, he, he did this because, he, it, like in his sovereignty, he's like, okay, I need to move some pieces around here. And so I gotta get Saul and I gotta get this uh, servant that works with him. I gotta make sure they end up in a particular location. And so the way I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna mess with some donkeys a little bit. So this is a reminder too, with the frustrations of life, that sometimes the path of difficulty leads to the blessing of God. Sometimes the path of difficulty leads to the blessing of God. I literally think, and I know, I know we're talking specifically about the first king ever. God's doing something sovereign and providential. But I am of the belief that God's character does not change and that some of the very difficulties in your life, and some of you would already say amen because you've experienced it. Some of the greatest difficulties you've had in your life have produced some of the greatest blessings. That's because God is behind it. And we're gonna give him that permission. Lord, mess with my life as you want. <laughs> I, I love ending up in your blessing. So here, here they are walking through this. Again, God caused the frustration. Verse five. So when they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, behold, there's a man of God in this city, and he's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, well, if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Now, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. 
And Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. So um, uh, I guess when you're looking for donkeys, you got to know when to call it. And uh, as Saul's thinking about this thing, he's like, look, you know, we've been looking for these donkeys. I mean, they could be anywhere. And at this point, dad's probably worried about me. And so let's just head on home. And, and then the guy that's with him is like, well, okay, tell you what. I have heard there's this man of God in this town. Like, we're close to him. Let's just go see if we can find him. Maybe he can tell us um, where they are. Now, there's a couple of, of things that show up in here. And this is the thing I love about this. Whoever wrote 1 Samuel... Whoever wrote 1 Samuel has prepared for us some thoughts uh, about what is really going on behind the scenes. And he has put in here several things that I think we should be aware of. And he's kind of hidden them and woven them through the story. We'll see them before we're done today. Uh, More of them. But one of the things he says is this. Behold, there's a man of God in this city. He's a man who's held in honor and all that he says comes true. All that he says comes true. Now, that is, that is a, a form of foreshadowing. And I think of it, it's going to show up in several ways. Before the end of the book, it's going to take on a whole new tone. But by the end of the book, and especially when you get to, to chapter 28, where we encounter who I refer to as the wicked witch of Endor, uh, when you encounter her, there will be an interaction between Samuel and Saul that is quite prophetic. And all that he says comes true. So something interesting going on there. But I also love this idea of seeking the man of God to find your animals. Uh, that's like, you know, going to the pastor and going, hey, can you please pray and ask God where I left my keys? Uh, I, just, I just think it's so, so funny. Like, but then here's what's funny. As I was thinking about this too, like praying for these very mundane things. Um, then I was thinking, well, how much mundane stuff do I pray for? And if you're a follower of the Lord, how much mundane stuff do you pray for? Like, have you prayed because you've lost your keys before? I mean, Scripture does say we can pray about all things. Uh, I will also say, as one who works on a car, I, I can tell you that I have prayed for so many rusted bolts and so much plastic that I'm afraid is going to break in my hands. I mean, I bet we pray about everything. My mom used to pray for parking spaces as she'd drive around. And though I mocked her for it, she always found one. And so I'm like, God, are you doing like you're going to do that? Parking spaces? Like, so I don't know. But anyway, uh, pray about all things, and they're praying about all things. Lord, uh, where are these dumb donkeys? Please help us to find this. So uh, they're going. Now, also, again, what I love about this is I love that while they're trying to figure this out, they're, like, they're trying to put this together, they're trying to figure out where they've left things, where they're supposed to go, where they're supposed to be, who they're supposed to talk to, I love that it's God who's guiding the entire thing. Uh, it just reminds me that, that you and I can just be going through life, we're just making decisions, just going where we go, doing what we do, and yet God is orchestrating your movements, that, that he is behind it. And I'm reminded of this. If God has a plan for you, it's going to happen. If God has a plan for you, it's going to happen, and you're going to be a participant even if you're ignorant of what he's doing. Well, in their day and age, um, it was customary. If you were going to go ask a, a prophet or a seer for some information, you bring, you bring him a gift. Uh, so Saul says, I don't have, we don't have anything to give him. We've run out of food on this journey. And then, of course, his servant's like, you know what? I, I have a quarter. <laughs> my father, let's go give him a, you know, here's a quarter. Can you tell me where my donkeys are? Which I think would still be a really funny thing to watch. But, um, and then uh, they move forward. So you get to this, verse 11. As they went up the hill to the city... They met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered, he is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. 
Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming up toward them on his way up to the high place. All right, so here's the stuff. As we're reading scripture again, you miss the stuff that's going on because it starts off by saying, as they went up to the hill of the city, they met young women coming out to draw water. Now, I don't know if you know this. Historically, that was the role of younger women. They would go out and they would draw the water and they'd bring back the water the families would use. Uh, but also here, like we already know about Saul. Saul is a super tall, hunky dude, and he runs into these young women. Like, you know they're not saying all that went on in that interaction. Like, these young women come up and they're like, hey, how's it going? You know, and when he's like, hey, do y'all know where I should go to? Like, like he... He's a young man. There, you know, like, there, there had to be more stuff going on here. Like, I'm sure those women were like, well, you don't have to go. We could talk for a while. What are you doing? Like, where are you from? You know, like, I, it would have been so fun to see. But I get it. I'm a 21st century guy who watches way too much TV. I would think about all that. But uh, the author here just goes right on with the story. So they, they make this comment about there's a sacrifice today. You can go to the city. Uh, but they're going up to the high place to eat. Now, if you study the Bible much at all, you will come across, especially in the Old Testament, Israel getting in trouble for being at the high places. Now, the reference to the high place was they would, they would set altars to gods and goddesses up on high places on hills and mountains because the thought was that will put me close to these high beings who they presume are way out there above the heavens. And so the higher we get, the more we will honor them. So that's ultimately what they get in trouble for later with false gods. But here, this is not that. This is they're worshiping our God, the real God, and they put it on a high place for the same kind of reason. But this is not a sin. This is just... What they're doing is to the one true God. So if somebody's sitting there going, I've heard about these. Like, no, it's a different kind of high place. So here they've gone there. Uh, and then they make the comment too that the people will not eat till he comes since he must bless the sacrifice. And can I just say that is absolutely a pastor role right there to pray for the meal. Like, that's just what you do. So uh, I did a wedding this last weekend with Justin and um, Amber Battle. And uh, we had, uh, or Amanda, so Justin and Amanda, sorry. Uh, Justin and Amanda battle. And we did this cool wedding up at the Sandhills Village. They've got a little rental place up there. Everybody needs a, a venue. Um, and so we went in there and the, it was a lot of fun. Beauty and the Beast theme, very romantic for those who are into Disney stuff. Uh, in fact, on the dance floor, there was this uh, over it, this giant spinning like Beauty and the Beast rose that spun slowly while couples were dancing. Um, now I am, I am, I have a really bad dancer. So I, I was out there for like 10 seconds and that was just because two women conspired against me. Uh, my wife, and then strangely, um, uh, Amber's mom, that was weird, um, uh, who could dance and I could not. So uh, this whole thing went down. And, but in the middle of all this, they said, hey, pastor, can you pray for the meal? And I was like, that's what you do. You're a pastor, you pray for the meal. And so um, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So I get up and I do that thing. And I was thinking, preparing for today. Like, I actually love praying for the meal because... What better reminder that we are so desperately in need of God to take care of our basic needs than when food is before us? And then I'll say this too, you travel the world a little bit. And I don't mean the luxury traveling where you end up in these nice hotels and all kind of stuff. I mean, you know, peel back the curtain a little bit and, and see how some people really eat around the world. So we just have recently returned, my wife and I, from Tanzania, uh, where we went on a trip with Compassion International. And uh, on this trip, we got a chance to go hang out with uh, some school children, just some average African school children. And you have a few meals with them, and then you come back over here and somebody puts a chicken uh, on your plate and you're just reminded how amazingly you eat all the time. And so that is a perfect time to bow your head and say, God, I recognize you provide for all of my needs. And so I love this, and I would encourage you the next time you pray for your meals, don't gloss over it. It's actually a really important thing and a beautiful thing, I think, for the Lord, because uh, he knows he provides. 
so here we are, um, moving forward now, and let's talk a little bit more about God's sneaky sovereignty. God's sneaky sovereignty, verse 15. Now, uh, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then, Samuel approached, uh, then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and tell you all that is on your mind. And as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they've been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? All right, so some things that immediately revealed themselves to me, starting in verse 15. Now, the day before Samuel came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I'll send you a man. I'm going to send this guy to you. I'm going to send Saul to you. And so this is what's funny to me again. If you were to ask Saul and his servant, hey, tell me about your life right now. Like, oh man, this is crazy. And we're going through all this stuff. And it's so frustrating. And we don't know where these dumb donkeys are and all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of this, it's like God says, I'm sending them to you. So again, God is over the whole thing. Again, and we can be bumbling through life and literally be walking through the divine directed will of God, which I think is amazing. So here, here's this guy going through this. Um, and, and as far as Israel goes, God is displeased with their process. Like he's displeased with the fact that they've lost trust in him. That was the comment made in chapter eight, uh, that, that they've lost their trust in me. But God is not overly displeased necessarily with the idea of a king because he plans to work through it. In fact, again, before they were demanding one, he'd already prepared one. And though Saul is not going to turn out to be a great king, that's not God's fault. That's on Saul. It's a little bit on the people who asked for a king like the other nations. But right behind Saul, we're going to meet a guy named David, and we're going to love that guy. And so it's just a, it's a different journey here, but God's going to work through this. In verse 16, there are a couple of things mentioned I want to draw your attention to. Uh, one of the things in verse 16, he says, I'm going to send you this guy. I want you to anoint him to be prince. Now, anointing literally means just pouring oil on their head. That's what the Hebrews used to do. Uh, if you've been chosen by God to serve a role, they would take oil and they just pour oil right on your head. And it was just a sign of the presence of God being upon you, which I think is really curious because the idea of the anointed one ties into the faith of the modern day Christian. Do you know the definition of the word Messiah? It's anointed one. It literally means anointed one. And so we know that the ultimate anointed one is Jesus. But for here, they're going to be anointing him. And then also they're going to anoint him prince, which I think is interesting because he's supposed to be king. Later on, will be called king. Uh, so I called uh, one of my friends here who is a Hebrew scholar. And I said, can you tell me why you think here they probably use the word uh, uh, prince instead of king? Because there is a word for king. They didn't use it. Uh, and he said, well, here's the thing. He said, I don't know that you can build too much on this because scripture doesn't. He said, but it does seem apparent there is something different going on with this anointing. Like, like he could have used the word king and he didn't. At the very least, we can say, isn't that interesting? And so, isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's all we have to go on. All right, uh, going forward here. But there's something else neat. I love this too. So he says this, um, you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel. Now, I think we would say, if we read chapter eight, that Israel's being a bit disobedient right now, and yet God still loves them. 
And, you know, it reminds me, that's just what good dads do. Like, you know, good dads who are raising children, if you've raised any children, um, every now and then your kids get really grumpy with you, and they can say mean and hateful things, and they may even say something like, I don't love you anymore, and I don't want you to be my dad anymore, or I don't, you know, whatever it is, all this hateful stuff. And, but like a good parent recognizes, these kids are going through a lot, and hormones are exploding through their bodies, and even they're not always aware of what they're saying. So that's when, as a good parent, you simply reply. I'm like, I, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, I know you're upset right now, but you just need to know this. I love you, I will always love you, and I'm going to take care of you. You know, like that's the, and that's what God basically does. It's like, listen, I know my kids are out of control right now, but I love them. I'm going to take care of them. Uh, I've heard their cries. I know what they need. Because I love that phrase too. I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. So that I think is really important. Like, because I think if you ask the people of Israel, they would say, yeah, like, we're not sure God's always paying attention to us. Does he know what we're going through? Does he know what we need? Does, does he know what danger we're in as a people? And God says clearly right now, their cry has come to me. I've seen my people. And so I, I guess maybe I would just pause right now because I feel like maybe we need to be reminded of that. Because how many times in your life do you pause and you feel like things are out of control and you're throwing up your hands and you're screaming to God, like, God, do you even see what's going on? And it could be your own personal life and crises. Uh, it could be things going on in our country with our politics, decisions that are being made, uh, the moral trajectory of the people that surround us, or in our world today, when you see these national crises and you, you have these fears of wars or nuclear stuff or whatever, and you're sitting back and you're, and you're freaking out and you're like, God, God. And, and, and I just want to remind you, God hears you and he sees you. And, and I think if he could peel back the curtain for just a second and speak to us, I just think he would tell us, I am firmly in control. There's nothing happening now that I am unaware of, nor am I prepared to deal with. Like, I have got this. You're the only one panicking right now. And so can I just pause and remind you, before you got here, God was already here. The solution, God's already prepared. We just need to be people of faith and walk with him in it. But if you're one of those people who panics every time you watch the news or hear something, can I just remind you, it, people who aren't trusting in God panic. People who trust in God just remind themselves of truth. God is in control. God is sovereign. And while I may not see his hand, he's often very sneaky. So, so I'm just going to let him do what he does. I'm going to learn to walk in faith. So I love this idea of my people. Uh, and then, you know, it's funny too, because Samuel comes up to Saul and he says, Saul, you know who's the most, bl uh, most blessed guy in all of Israel? It's you, you're that guy. And, and Saul is having trouble putting this together, but he gets it. He understands what uh, Samuel just said to him. Uh, and that's why he responds like, well, wait, aren't I of the smallest family? And uh, we're kind of a poor line. They're like, we're not real noble. But, but here's the thing. Like, I am convinced of this. People who are amazingly handsome or amazingly beautiful, like, they know it, right? They know, it's not like they're confused about that. I mean, Saul knows when he walks down the street and towers over everybody that everybody stares at him, men and women alike. They're like, dude, that is an amazing guy right there. And every girl, like, he's probably got a trail of girls following him wherever he walks. It's just they're just happen to find that that's the direction they also need to go, you know? So, like, he knows. He knows who he is. So, I'm sure that when Saul comes to, and Samuel comes to Saul, I'm sure this is what's going on. As Samuel's saying this, Saul's probably thinking in his head, I knew something was different about me. Like, I tower over everybody, and I am pretty amazing. Yeah, so he, he's probably already thinking that, and... And so when Samuel says, the hand of God is on you in a unique way, Saul is protesting, but he probably gets it. Like, I, you know what? I've, I've wondered. 
I've wondered if I've been created for something different because I know I'm kind of unique in how God has put me together. And so he's wrestling with this. Now I love too, because Samuel's like, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, ultimately I'll tell you everything that's on your mind. Because I think Saul would say, you know, the only thing on my mind was those dumb donkeys. And <laughs> if you're telling me they're okay, I don't know that there's much else happening up there. And uh, Samuel's like, well, there's, there's more we're gonna talk about. So he goes on to this. Uh, now they are gonna sit down to this dinner. Let's go forward just a bit. Verse 22, then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who'd been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day and uh, before I go forward, this, th- there's some stuff going here that's weird. How weird would it be to show up unexpected and find out you are the guest of honor? Like, specifically you. You want to talk about the hand of God. Like, you're wandering around, bumping into things. Hey, random dude that we just met who I heard is kind of important. Can you tell me where my donkeys are? I have a quarter. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, by the way, we're going to a feast. You're the guest of honor, and all these noble and uh, honorable people are waiting to meet you. You're like, What? Well, this is crazy. And it says they set before him a leg. Now, it doesn't say the type of leg, but I bet it wasn't a chicken leg, right? I mean, you're not the guest of honor, and they're like, hey, chicken leg. You know, like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be more than that. And I'm thinking, too, like, this is a huge dude, maybe late teens. Like, those guys are always hungry. Anybody here ever raised a teenage boy? Like, those guys will eat you out of house and home. And so they have probably put down something significant before this man. It's probably a big leg of lamb, and they put the whole thing there. And he's probably thinking, as he looks at this thing, for the first time in my life, I will be full. You know? <laughs> and and you know, this is what else I love about this. There's no description given. You've just shown up this totally random place, and you're like, what is going on? What is going on? And then, boom, food. And you're like, listen, I don't even care. I got food. <laughs> I'm sure he just devours it, smiling at everybody, like, this is great. I don't know how we got here. Uh, but then also, too, what is unsaid, I think, might also be important. So while this is just a clueless young man, the people there are not clueless. These people that have gathered have probably been told by Samuel, this is your future king. And so these are probably nobles, wealthy, influential people of Israel. And for them, this is a very special moment, even though he's just trying to figure this thing out. So uh, they f- finished their meal, verse 25. They come down from the high place of the city, and a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Samuel up on the roof, and he said, um, up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. And then the chapter ends. So here's what I love. Again, the Bible was not written with chapters and verses and all that kind of stuff. But whoever wrote this has a great sense of timing. Because when we finished chapter eight, it was like, okay, we need a king. Like, all right, everybody go home. And so there was like the suspense. And so now we're finishing chapter nine. And it's like, hey, listen, like Saul, I've got something really important I have to reveal to you from the Lord. And just as he goes to say it, the screen goes black and the credits roll. You know, and you're like, oh, I like it. Like, don't do that to me. Don't do that. I hope, that, I hope we can binge this on Netflix. Let's get the next one. Like, so we don't know what's coming next, right? If we haven't read ahead. But there's a bit of a cliffhanger here. But, but the cliffhanger isn't really a cliffhanger for us. So, and, and I mean it in this way. 
Like, let's think about it just a little bit. And I've said this before when you study Old Testament. This was not specifically written to you and me for a thus, therefore, you now go and do. Right? That, it was not written for this. This is what we might call historical narrative. It's a reflection of how God worked with the people. But we remind ourselves of this. Same God forever. Same type of people. Even though different cultures, same type of people, same desires, same wants. So what are things that I can draw from this? And, and maybe just two ideas I would pull from today uh, for lessons learned. One is the idea of, and I do love this idea, of God's sneaky sovereignty. Like you may feel like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going in life. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in life. I don't know what God wants from me. I'm just gonna remind you of this. God's got a plan and you're in it whether you're aware of it or not. He's got a plan and you're in it. So he's already doing his thing. There's no crisis you're gonna come upon that he was not already prepared to deal with. There's no panic that you'll ever have that he doesn't have a, a good solution for. So I'm just gonna remind myself of this, that when I begin to panic, when I begin to freak out, God already has a solution. I just have to look around to find it, right? And may not always be what I want, but it's, it's a solution. Uh, next, I would say this too. Uh, as we're looking at Israel, Israel's struggle here is that they're looking for a king because they feel like they need a king to protect them and to provide for them. All right, they're, not, they're not wrong. They do need a king to protect them and to provide for them. It's just not the king they're looking for. I would say the same is true of us, that when it comes to life, we're looking for that deeper, more fulfilling thing, but I just, I'm not always sure it's the king we think we're looking for. The king we need is the king that God ultimately provides, the ultimate anointed one to lead us, and that's King Jesus. That, that Jesus Christ literally came to this earth, offered his life as a substitute uh, so that those of us who put our faith in him could be forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, future, and both have a relationship with God in this life and step into that relationship in paradise forever when we're off of this earth. That's what we really need. And so if nothing else, just remind ourselves of this. God plans not just to provide a king for Israel, but a king for all of us. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for this reminder today uh, that you have done and are doing something amazing. Lord, too, please help us to remember that whenever we hit a crisis, we don't have to panic. You are in control even of crises. And who knows, but you have caused some of them because you plan to bring to us a blessing unexpected. And then ultimately, Father, we can identify with Israel. We are looking for fulfillment in so many different ways, but you literally offer it through the one king we all need, the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus, just hear from us afresh today. Jesus, we believe in you. We believe that you are the son of God who came to this earth to rescue us from the consequence of our sins. We believe that you're the son of God. We believe that you died for us. We believe on the third day you walked from the tomb. And we want you to hear afresh from us today. We put our full faith in you. You are our Lord. You are our sovereign. May we walk with you all the days of our life. And when we walk from this earth, would you please receive us into your paradise forever? In your holy name, amen. Amen.